um, he's a friend of mine. I just love him. I've worked with him with SPRC, worked with him in, in his capacity as lay leader, worked with him when we brought our comedian in, and he just has such a servant's heart. You know, he drives into this church from how many miles away? 72 miles away. And yet he comes to the meetings. He shows up with a smile on his face. I just, he's just such a wonderful example. Wherever he goes, he represents the body of Christ with such a wonderful, sweet presence. And we are going to be honored today to uh, have him share with us. So let's welcome Jerry Riley. Thank you, Jeff. I have the earpiece on today. <laughs> that was an impromptu special by Jeff Van Meter. You'll be hearing from him again in a moment. Um, and very timely uh, song that he selected to play during our offertory hymn. Um, I'm very honored to be here today when Chris called and asked if I would share my testimony. I couldn't help but remember back in my earlier years when I was in my teens, and that was several years ago. I'm living in Memphis, and we're having a revival going on at our church. And uh, I'm coming in late in the afternoon, getting ready to attend that night, and the phone rings. Now, back in those days, we didn't have cell phones. We had a wall phone. Anybody remember a wall phone? And uh, our terminology for mobile is it had a 10-foot cord, so you could kind of walk, <laughs> walk around the kitchen. And so as I walked in, the phone rang. My mom answers the phone, and she said, yep, yes, sure. He's standing right here. Hold on just one second. She hands me the phone. She said, Jerry, before she handed me the phone, as she's handed me the phone, this is Brother Brown. This is our minister at the church we're attending. And he wants to talk to you about getting up tonight at Revival and sharing your testimony on what it means growing up as a, in a Christian family. And I'm 13 or 14 years old. That's not what I want to do. And I said, tell him I'm not here. <laughs> now, I'm only about this far away from her. She has the phone up to my mouth. I'm not here. Tell him I'm not here. You've got to talk to him. No, tell him I went back outside. No, you need to talk to him. I found out real quick I'm not going to win that argument, and I normally didn't win the argument with my mom, so I take the phone, and I act like nothing's going on. Well, hello? And he kind of chuckled, and he said, you didn't want to talk to me? Well, no, whatever gave you that idea? <laughs> well, he went on, even though that he was, I knew I was reluctant uh, to get up that night and share my testimony. Uh, he went ahead and asked me. I guess his list had run out. The other mothers must have cooperated with their children. They didn't give the phone to their, to their kid. So he went ahead and asked. And uh, I didn't feel that way, Chris, when you called to ask that I share my testimony this morning. I didn't kick and holler. I felt honored to be able to get up and share the testimony. Jesus Christ is alive. And uh, I'm going to share some things that happened to me. And it's not about me. It's not about what happened to me. It's about Jesus Christ and his love for us. So for me to share that part, I need to tell a little bit about what happened to me so you can appreciate God's guidance. Um, and it wasn't until um, Facebook is kind of a wonderful thing. And I have a friend of mine, Debbie Gresham, that quite often posts videos. And I don't always look at the video. Uh, this video was kind of a still picture. And you, you've seen it, where it's just a still, there's no audio, there's no movement, and you have to click the arrow to get it to play, and uh, I don't normally do that. I didn't recognize this person. His name was Verlin Husky. I didn't know Verlin Husky. I didn't know what he looked like, and I didn't know his name, but I played the video. You know, the significance of playing that video is it all of a sudden had me reflect back on what I had gone through, 
And had I not played the video, I may not have reflected on what God put me through, and it kind of set the stage for what I'm going to talk to you about today. Now, the video that we're going to watch in just a moment is really kind of a rough video. Uh, this is a, a group of singers. They're sitting around. Uh, a person named Ralph Embry is uh, visiting with these singers. Uh, Ralph is an icon in Nashville. He hosted one of the largest radio stations in the world out of Nashville. For many years, he hosted Nashville Now on the National Network. And uh, these are, uh, I'm not sure what the setting was, but there was a group of singers sitting around, and Verlin goes on, or Verlin went on to share his testimony on how this song came about. Uh, it's also, uh, in the rough video, he sings out of key, and I kind of like that because that's the way I sing all the time. So there's going to be a couple of times he's a little bit older, he's going to hit, uh, miss a few notes, but this was the video that kind of set the stage on my testimony today, so could we watch the video, please? Bob Ferguson wrote the song, and every time I'd go in to try to record a song why, or a session, Ken Nelson from Capitol would say, well, well, we got songs. I said, well, I want to do uh, Wings of a Dove. He said, no, it's too religious. He said, people won't buy that. That's no good. So I tried to get Columbia, Victor, uh, Steve Schultz, and a bunch of different artists to record it for some other artist or some other company. Nobody. Every time I, Ken would come back, I'd try again. Five years. No way. He said, uh, if you're so determined to cut the song, Ferlin said, go ahead and record it. He said, your history. In other words, if it didn't happen, that's it. I'm, I'm out. So what happened, the Lord was looking down for me and helped me get it on records. And uh, I'd prayed about it, but I, I just had a feeling for the song. It had God in it, in which I can understand. Anyhow, Ken said, that's not, uh, everybody don't believe like you do. I said, well, it's Bible. He said, a lot of people don't believe the Bible. I said, it's history. He said, go ahead and do it. It's your history. <laughs> so anyhow, anyhow the Lord, what really happened then, I went in to record, in 59, 1959, we were going in to record this album, and uh, Marvin Hughes was doing the leader, the, the session, and Ken and stuff. Ken was stranded. That's when the Lord we got him off that plane. He stranded in Dallas. Flight was out of Dallas to connection to Nashville, and he missed it uh, some way with the weather and everything. So uh, I got into the studio, and uh, Marvin Hughes said, uh, Mr. Nelson won't be here. He's stranded in Dallas. I said, good, let's do Wings of a Dove. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I did, and it did. I, uh, so that's how come it's to record it. He wasn't there. And it, it, last year, they come out with a billboard thing and said it was the number five most popular country song in history. <laughs> so he was right about the five somewhere in there. So. Yeah, listen, I'm not bragging. I just tell the truth. Can I stand up and start? Sure, okay. yeah. Thank you, Farley. Is that G-E-D or what? I can't hear you. Is it D-E? I'm, I'm like lower. I have to lower that one now. Not for me, but for everybody to help me. On the wings of a snow white dove, he sends his pure sweet love, a 
sign from above on the wings of a dove when troubles surround us when evils come the body grows weak body grows weak the spirit grows numb when these things beset us, God doesn't forget us. He sends down his love on the wings of a dove. On the wings of a snow-white dove, he sends his pure sweet love, a sign from above. Search for land, he searched for in various ways, various ways, troubles he had some, but wasn't forgotten. God sent him his love on the wings of the The river that day, he was baptized in the usual way. When John baptized God's son, God told him, well done, and he sent him his love on the wings of the dove. have to admit as a 200 <clears throat> some odd uh, pound person uh, when I heard that song and I started reflecting back it brought a little tear in my eye and I started reflecting on what I had gone through and uh, again had it not been for that song I may or may not have really reflected and given God the praise and the glory that, that he deserved and I think in our lives we may miss out on some of the things that God provides for us we get busy and we just take it for granted that just happened but, uh, you know, it really could be that God sent down his love on the wings of a dove. And we need to be open and attuned to that. 
Again, this is not about me, but I have to share a little bit about what I went through so you can appreciate what I, uh, the point I want to make. Um, all my life, or all that I can remember, I've had indigestion problems. Um, started out at uh, young age, I could take a Tums, and uh, it seemed to solve that heartburn, that burning sensation. Uh, then it got to where I had to take two Tums. Then it got to where I had to take three Tums. Then I graduated to Alka-Seltzer. And uh, over a period of time, it just continued to get worse. I finally was diagnosed with uh, Barrett's esophagus and reflux. I was put on a daily uh, medication of Nexium. And uh, as I learned just recently, Nexium doesn't really cure the disease. It just camouflages the problem. You don't have that burning sensation, which is, praise God, that's good. But it still doesn't get rid of the reflux uh, problem that we may have. And for years, that seemed to work fine. Uh, back around the 1st of May, however, I started getting pains in my abdomen. And uh, the pains were not real severe in the very beginning, but they were very uncomfortable. I certainly noticed it. And I could take an Alka-Seltzer, and within a short period of time, it was gone. Uh, this progressively got worse. And uh, this went on for about two to three weeks. And finally, on a Saturday night, uh, it got very severe. I got nauseated, uh, very excruciating pain. Uh, I feel like I can take pain very well, but uh, I would elevate it to a level eight. Uh, it was very painful. Uh, again, was nauseated, started about six o'clock in the evening, went to about two o'clock in the morning, got better. Uh, I called our home team, said, hey, I'm not gonna be able to make it in uh, Sunday morning at nine. I've been up all night. Um, but when I got up that next morning, I felt fine. I thought, well, I should have gone to church. I played hooky, and I should have been in church, uh, but I wasn't. Denise and I, my wife, we went to Shawnee to do some shopping. I had a business meeting coming up that next week. I needed one of these laser pointers. I couldn't find mine, so we go to Shawnee. It's about lunchtime, so we decide to, to get lunch. Uh, after I ate, and I didn't eat much, I started getting that sensation again. It didn't last long. went away. That's great. But later that night when I ate, about 6 o'clock, the pain came back again. This time it was just as severe, if not as even more so, than Saturday night. It was very nauseated. Uh, didn't get, could not get any relief until about 2 o'clock in the morning. 2 o'clock in the morning, it went away. Great. Went to bed, got up the next morning, called my primary physician in Tulsa, told him what was going on, come up with him to see you. I went up to see the physician, started telling them what uh, had taken place. I didn't know if it was my gallbladder. Uh, and the, the assistant to my physician said, well, I think it's an ulcer. We're going to schedule you for a scope to see if you have an ulcer. In the meantime, I'm going to give you a prescription that you can take, and, and that should ease the pain. And I asked the doctor, I said, doctor, let me ask you something. If that pain comes back, short of suicide, Will that pill help me because this pain is pretty severe? She said, oh, you should be fine. So this was on Monday morning. We go again. I like to eat. So we got through with the doctor, went to have lunch, and immediately after eating just a small amount, the pain came back. I told my wife, I said, we need to, need to get on back to Okima, 70 miles away. I need to get this prescription filled. Uh, let's go. So we got back to Okima, went to the pharmacy, got it filled, took the pill, no help. In fact, it continued to get worse. This continued on to about 6 o'clock in the evening. It's now been about six hours. 
Uh, Denise is going to go visit some friends that evening. She wanted to stay home. I said, no, I should get better shortly. Just go ahead and I'll be fine. The last two nights, it lasted about six hours. It's been about six hours, so the pain should go away. She wasn't gone long. She came back. She said, Jerry, she said, the ladies that I was visiting with said, come back and take you to the emergency room. I'm not going to the emergency room. I'll be better. Just give me a little bit of time. Took some more Alka-Seltzer. Still wasn't helping. This continued on till about 11 o'clock, and finally, I said, let's go. <laughs> I've taken all I can take. Now, we have two choices of hospitals. We have Henrietta, which uh, Wesley Van Meter, I'm going to introduce him again in a moment, lives in Henrietta. It's about 15 miles away. We have Shawnee that's about 40 miles away, but it's a bigger hospital. I said, let's go to Shawnee. So we go to Shawnee, go in, and I meet with the doctor. I tell her about my appointment that morning that I had with my regular physician, and she concurred. I think it's an ulcer, and she gave me some morphine. Man, that stuff works. The pain went away. She gave me a, a Benadryl drip, and that relaxed me. Let's go home. I'm ready to go to bed. The pain's gone. So we get in the car. We drive back home, get home about 2 o'clock in the morning. My mouth's dry from taking the morphine, so I think I need to drink something to, get to, to wet in my mouth. So I drank about that much, 7-Up, and the pain started again. Then they said, we're going back to the hospital. I said, I'm not going to go back to the hospital. I'm hurting too much to go back to the hospital. Uh, I'm not going. Well, she kept being persistent, and I said, okay, let's go to Henrietta. It's closer. I can't make the trip back to uh, Shawnee. We go to Henrietta, and luckily there was a doctor on duty at 2 o'clock in the morning that had experienced something similar to this several years earlier, and she took me in and gave me an MRI. And I'm thinking, why are they giving me an MRI at 2 o'clock in the morning for an ulcer? Well, she found something that she was concerned about, and she said, we're taking you to Tulsa right now. We're going to take you by ambulance, and we're taking you to Hillcrest Hospital. I said, I don't want to go to Hillcrest Hospital, and I don't want to ride in an ambulance. My wife is here. We'll get in the car, and we're going to go to St. John. No, you're not going to St. John. It's full. I don't even know if they checked. But it's full. We're taking you to Hillcrest. Now, I didn't have anything against Hillcrest Hospital. I just didn't know anything about it. And my doctor is within a group that practices at St. John, so that was my choice of hospitals. So we go to Hillcrest. Now, I lost my battle again. And I'm in an ambulance. Never have been in an ambulance, and it's not a real good experience. It is a real rough ride. So we get to get to Hillcrest Hospital, and the pain starts coming back again. The morphine, and she gave me some morphine. The morphine started wearing off, uh, and so the doctor, the house doctor for the floor that I was on, came in. How's it going? I'm fine, but the pain's starting to come back. I need some medicine. He said, we can't give you anything. We may do surgery today. Surgery on what? I don't know. We've got to get with the surgeon to find out what's going on, but we can't give you any, anything for pain. About an hour later, he comes back. How's everything going? I said, look, you got two choices. Bring me a 45 automatic or some more morphine because this pain I, I can't take. I came to the hospital to get some relief. So he finally uh, gave in, gave me some morphine. And after doing some more testing, some swallow tests, come to find out my stomach had folded up and had gone up into a hernia, up into my esophagus, and so when I swallowed, it had no place to go. So my surgery was not uh, open-heart surgery, but it wasn't a tonsillectomy either. So they assigned me to a surgeon that I had no knowledge of who they were, 
And uh, after visiting with her after the surgery, she went on to explain, she said, Jerry, we had to put you on the operating table at about a 45 degree angle. And we went in with robotic arms and we had to let the gravity pull the stomach back out of your uh, hernia, back out of your esophagus, and it kept wanting to fold back up. She said, it's been that way for a while. I said, how can my stomach be folded up for a while and I could eat as much as I've been able to eat because it never stopped me from eating. She said, well, I can't explain that, but it had been folded up so long that it kept wanting to fold back up. So I had tubes. I had one tube for draining. I had one tube to help hold the stomach, anchored it down. So anyway, I had the surgery, was put into ICU, was put in ICU. The surgery started about 5 or 6 in the afternoon, got out about, about 11 o'clock that night, was put in ICU, was there for 24 hours. Now here's where the story really starts to get interesting. That's just the prelude to really what started to unfold. So they went to put me in a regular room. I said, I don't want to go to a, to a semi-private room. I want a private room. I just come out of ICU. I want a private room. Well, we don't have any private rooms. I want a private room. We don't have a private room. Now, I learned one thing in the hospital. There's two sides to a semi-private room. There's a B side. If you ever have to go into a semi-private room, you want the B side. You don't want the A side. And I got the A side. Why do you not want the A-side? Well, the A-side is on the outside. It's where the door is, where people come and go. They have to walk past your bed to get to the person on the B-side. And the person who's on the B-side, he did not really care if there was anybody in the room with him or not. I couldn't see him. But I'm in the A-side of the room. It's now past, well past midnight. I'm wanting to get some rest. And this individual in the room next to me uh, had a CPAC on. I've never heard of CPAC. I, I've heard of them, but I've never heard one in operation. But it sounded, um, it was loud. And because it was loud, what did he do with his TV? It was loud. Now, the TV speaker is on a little uh, call button that lays beside your pillow. And even on loud, it's not loud. But I guarantee you his loud was as loud as my TV at home. I mean, it was loud. And then the light on the outside of the hall was shining in my eyes, and I'm sitting there talking to the Lord. I said, Lord, I know that this person next to me needs that CPAC, and I, and I pray for him, and I know that he has to have the TV turned up loud, and, and uh, I understand that because he can't hear the TV without it being loud. And I don't want to bother the nurses and have them keep closing my door and the light shining in my eye. Just let me block it out and let me get some rest. Well, not only did he not block it out, it got worse. The guy that was my roommate kept calling the nurse. Now, he did not need his call button to call the nurse. And I'm telling you, about every 10 minutes, he's calling the nurse. Nurse, come pull me up in the bed. Well, here comes the nurse in the room, and they pull her up in the bed, pull him up in the bed. They're not gone long. He calls the nurse again. Nurse, come take this CPAC off. Well, here comes the nurse again. They take the CPAC off. Another 10 minutes goes by. Nurse, come put this CPAC back on. And this literally goes on until after 3 o'clock in the morning. And I'm trying to get some rest. I just got out of ICU, and I, I just want to go to sleep. And I feel like if I can go to sleep, if I can block this out, 
I can usually sleep through anything, so just help me block it out. Just help me go to sleep. Well, at about 3 o'clock in the morning, a preacher comes on his TV. I'm not going to say who I thought the preacher was, but it really wasn't a preacher I wanted to listen preach at 3 o'clock in the morning. I wanted to go to bed, and I didn't want to listen to this preacher. As it turns out, I don't think it was the preacher that I thought it was, but there was a couple of things that this preacher said in his sermon that really started resonating with me. Number one, he said, life is like a relay race. We cannot control our inheritance. Whatever we inherited when we were brought into this world, we got. Some of us inherit things a little bit better than others, and some's a little bit worse than others, but we absolutely have no control over what we inherit. And it's like a relay race. The only part of life that we can control is when the person that's running the race ahead of you gets to you and passes that baton. When you're running with that baton, that's the only part of your life you can control. And we're in control. We're in control of how we lead our life and how we live our life. And when we pass that baton off to the next person, we can't really control what they do. They're running their own race. We've ran our race. Now it's their turn to run their race. Then he began telling a story about a young man named Alfred. Alfred uh, was born in Sweden. He was uh, raised in a Lutheran church. He was baptized in the Lutheran church. He later became an agnostic and later became an atheist. And one Sunday in 1888, he's reading the Sunday paper. And in the Sunday paper, he reads that he died. Well, that kind of got Alfred's attention. Well, the reporter got Alfred mixed up with his brother. And his brother had died a week earlier. But in this article, it talked about Alfred being known as the merchant of death. You see, Alfred was a chemist. His father owned an ammunition plant. There was a war going on in the Ukraine, and Alfred invented dynamite. Dynamite was the most powerful explosive known to man. And because of that, it killed a lot of people. And when he died, the reporter reported on Alfred, not his brother, but he called him the merchant of death, and that bothered Alfred. I don't want to be remembered as a merchant of death. I want to be remembered for something other than that. So every year, Alfred set out to recognize someone that had done something great. And every year, he would give out an award, both monetarily and recognition, to that person that had done something great in the society. And this continued on for 18 years until Alfred passed away. And a year before Alfred passed away, he wrote a will. And in that will, he stated that he wanted this practice to continue on after his death. And he left money in a trust for this practice to continue. And today, that practice still continues. And it's known as the Nobel Priest Prize. That was Alfred Nobel. And... The point was, is that we all have the ability to change our obituary. Now think about that. We all have the ability to change our obituary. Alfred didn't like his obituary. He didn't like being known as the merchant of death. So he set out to do something so that he could change 
how people remember him in life. And you know, we talk about uh, uh, where are we in our life? How are we carrying our baton? How are we running our life as Christians? Are we filling the, the expectations of our Lord? And we're all put here for a purpose. And sometimes it takes a while to find our purpose. What are we here for? But how are we carrying that baton in our life? And how does our obituary look? I might have a creative writer do mine, so Jeff, uh, I'm putting you on the list of creative writers. Uh, so how do we want our obituary to look when we, when we leave this world? And uh, it really got me to thinking about where I was in my life. It got me thinking about what did God put me through to hear that message. And you know, we've been hearing uh, uh, the sermon series on witnessing. And we talk about uh, maybe, maybe we don't need to change our obituary. Maybe we know somebody that does. Last week, Chris played a clip from uh, Jeff, uh, Bill Mara that where he lashed out and, and invited a Christian writer on his show to supposedly promote his book, but really brought him on the show so he could cut him down for being a Christian. Well, you know how many times in the Bible the word Christian is mentioned? Surprise me, three times. The word Christian in the Bible was used three times, and most of the times it was used was as a form of blasphemy. All oh, those Christians. Oh, those Christians. So we go back and look at the uh, way that Christians are treated today. That goes all the way back to biblical times. That's not something that just started recently. So how do we deal with those people that are that are that are uh, cynic, uh, that are skeptic, skeptics, that, are not, that do not believe. And you know, there's a lot of people in our society that are out of the way. You know, Tim Tebow takes a lot of criticism whenever he kneels to pray. He don't kneel because of the flag. He kneels because he wants to pray and takes a lot of criticism about that. But you know, one of the ones that really comes to my mind is a lady named Joy Behar. Anybody heard of her? On The View? where she called out Vice President Prince for being mentally off because he talked to God and wanted to know what does, what does he do when God talks back to him. You know, Joy, I can tell you one thing. God talked to me on May the 19th at 3.30 in the morning at the uh, Hillcrest Hotel, uh, Hospital, it wasn't a hotel, <laughs> wasn't a hotel, on the 10th floor. God talks to us all the time. Are we listening? Joy, are you listening for God? If you're not listening for God, you're not going to hear God. So, Joy, are you listening for God? And, Joy, I can tell you one other thing as a fact. One day you will hear God talk to you, and you will know that it's God. We're all going to one day talk to God and know that it's God, and it's either going to be saying God saying, Welcome home, or entry denied. But you know the good news? The good news is the Lord calls us to be disciples. How many times is the word disciple used in the Bible? 261 times. So the Lord calls us out 261 times to be disciples for him. And we're, we're asked by the Lord to go out and witness for him and to praise him. And the other good thing is, is that the Lord forgives our sins. If you look at... Uh, 
Jeremiah 31, 34. In Jeremiah 31, 34, the Lord says, I will forgive you for your wickedness, and I will forget it. I will forgive you, and I will forget it. You know what? Praise God. That's my second best verse. My first best verse is, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And you know what? If we just had those two verses to be able to talk to that non-believer, Jeff, God loves you. God loves us all. Joy, God loves you as much as He loves me. And God will forgive you. And He will forget your sins. All you have to do is repent. Repent of those sins. So, Really, I think that God may be speaking to all of us. And follow me, follow me as we go through this. Do you think it's a coincidence that I went to the Henrietta Hospital when I didn't want to go there? I wanted to go to Shawnee Hospital. Was that a coincidence? Was it a coincidence that the doctor on duty at 2 o'clock in the morning had experienced something similar to this and gave me an MRI and found out that it wasn't an ulcer. It's something more than an ulcer, and we're sending you to Tulsa to the hospital by ambulance. Was that a coincidence? Was it a coincidence that I went to Hillcrest Hospital when I didn't want to go to Hillcrest Hospital? I wanted to go to St. John. Was it a coincidence that the, that the surgeon that I had was a surgeon that I did not know. Her name is Dr. Tara Wilson. She got her training in the military. She served alongside of Rear Admiral uh, Jack, Robert Jackson. Uh, he was nominated by Trump to be the uh, head up the uh, Veterans Administration. She served alongside him, a very qualified surgeon that I did not know, but that was the surgeon that I had. Was it a coincidence that they put me on the 10th floor in a room with a roommate that I couldn't get any rest? And had God gave me rest, had he given me the peace, I may have fell asleep and not heard the sermon. Was he intentionally doing that to keep me awake? He wanted me to hear that message? Are all those coincidences? Is it a coincidence that... Uh, I was called to get up here and give my testimony today. Is it a coincidence that the sermon series that we've been hearing for the last several weeks is on witnessing? Are those coincidences? I don't think so. Or could it be that God is trying to awaken us? He is trying to show us that I am the light and I'm the way. I, is he trying to show us that you're my people and you need to run the way, race? You have the baton in your hand. You need to run the race as I want you to run it. You need to be disciples. Is God trying to tell us that we need to be doing more? Is God shaking the foundation of his, of his people? Is he gathering his army together? Is he grabbing uh, uh, his people together? I think so. I don't think those are coincidences. I have asked God, that, hey, if you have to talk to me again, you don't have to put me in a hospital. <laughs> I have itchy ears. I'll listen to anything you have to say. So as I come to a close, I'd like to ask the praise group to come back forward. Um, you heard Wesley just a moment ago uh, uh, sing a, an unscripted uh, song. It was not part of our program this morning. 
But I've asked Wesley to come up and, and uh, sing for us in closing. Uh, once that's over, then Jeff is going to come forward, and, and then the praise group is going to put a bow on today's message. I hope it's blessed you. And as they're coming forward, I'd like to close with one other statement. I've always heard there's three kinds of people in this world. And we can substitute people for many different things. We can substitute it. I do it quite frequently. There's three different kinds of businesses. There's three kind, different kinds of salespeople. There's three kinds of churches. There's three kinds of, um, name it, fill in the blank. But today I'm going to fill in the blank by saying there's three kinds of churches and three kinds of congregations. There's churches and congregations that make things happen. There's churches and congregations that watch things happen. And there's churches and congregations that wonder what happened. Isn't it a blessing to be with a church that's making things happen? That we're on the forefront of, of things that's going on within our denomination and our minister is, is leading the way to stand up for the biblical beliefs that we have. We're making things happen because I also know churches that are sitting back and they're watching things happen. Good friends of mine that are with other churches, they kind of sit back and they, they just kind of watch things happen. And I guarantee you, there will be a day that they'll look back and they'll wonder what happened. You're a great congregation. Thank you. God bless you. And Wesley? When troubles surround us, 